I invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew chapter 1 as we uh, continue our Christmas series and talk about some of the personalities that we see. Uh, We looked at the wise men, we looked at the message of the angels that they brought, and today we're going to look at Joseph. Um, Before we get to Joseph, we want to... Let's talk, because the context really is about the virgin birth. So we want to talk about the virgin birth and say a word about that. Um, you know, there was an early Jesuit missionary who went to China in the 16th century. And uh, I guess it was the equivalent of the flannel graph. He took pictures, uh, artist renditions of the virgin birth, of the birth of Christ. And these samples of religious art uh, he showed paintings of Mary holding Jesus, and they, the, the, the people loved that, uh, that, that, that image. And then uh, he tried to explain that, that Jesus, the God-man, grew up and became, um, was crucified for our sins. And he, was, he grew up only to be executed. And the people reacted with revulsion and horror. At, at the God-man uh, dying. And, and they wanted to worship Mary instead of Jesus. And uh, Phil Yancey, uh, the author, in reflecting on this, writes, as I thumb through my stack of Christmas cards, I realize that we in America do much the same thing. We observe a mellow, domesticated holiday purged of any hint of scandal. Above all, we purge from it any reminder of how the story that began in Bethlehem turned out at Calvary. What we just sung about, because we point to the cross when we look even and think about Christmas. Uh, The virgin birth is a doctrine that, that we accept, but we don't talk about it a lot. We don't talk about the implications um, and we don't talk a lot about Joseph and, and his role in the life of Jesus, but we want to talk both ab- about both of those this morning. But um, anyway, at the top of the outline, it says that Matthew gives us his account of Jesus' birth. God's actions were beyond Joseph and Mary's comprehension. And even though they must have faced questioning, uh, questioning looks from those around them, they willingly followed God's leading. So the question for all of us is, are we willing to follow God's leading, no matter what? Let's begin by reading our passage, Matthew chapter 1, starting at verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, 
for he will save his people. You will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home to be his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. So first, just a word about the virgin birth. Um, American author Madeline Lingle uh, writes that the virgin birth is far less mind-boggling than the power of all creation stooping so low as to become one of us. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. That the, the, the reality that God became a man. That, that's mind-blowing. If, if, if we just meditate on it for a little bit, it's really beyond our comprehension, but that's what we, what, what we celebrate at Christmas is the incarnation. And also on your outline, you have this, that the virgin birth teaches that Jesus was supernaturally conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of her without sin. And this is not an isolated doctrine. The virgin birth is closely tied to the person and the work of Christ. The virgin birth shows us that Jesus was born supernaturally, but not in a way that makes his humanity any different from ours. The virgin birth is fitting for one who is already God the Son before the incarnation. He is uniquely the God-man. And the virgin birth shows us that salvation is God's initiative. God reaching down to us in salvation. What a gift. For example, we think of the resurrection of the dead, but that's rooted in the importance of, of who God is and, and who Jesus is in the incarnation. Uh, the church father, Irenaeus, put it like this. It's on your outline. If one does not accept the son of God's birth from a virgin, how can he accept the resurrection from the dead? It's through the virgin birth that that Jesus, the virgin birth of Jesus, that God makes a way to rescue us from sin and reconcile us to himself. He takes our sin and he gives us salvation. He takes our rebellion, the rebellion in our lives, and he gives us his righteousness. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us so that we might have the righteousness of God. So now to, to Joseph. Um, <clears throat> my brother, uh, Jimmy, I have one brother who's five years younger than I am. He's also a pastor. Uh, my dad, who's an attorney, had a lot of friends who said to him, how did a lawyer make two sons who were pastors? Uh, my dad used to say that 90% of the lawyers give the other 10% of us a bad name. Um, but my brother, who's a pastor, has three of his own children, and two adopted children from China. Uh, they made a couple of trips over to China, and you can imagine the process that you have to go through to adopt a child. And when you do that internationally, it's just a lot of even more challenging. 
uh, when my brother was filling out all the paperwork, he would write the names of his new Chinese daughters, Paige and Allie, next to his last name, Dodd. And that was just a, a reminder to him that these, chill, these two girls are now his with all of the rights and all of the privileges of what it means to be a part of his family. But as I was thinking of that and looking at these verses, I was struck in a fresh way that Joseph was in a very similar circumstance to my brother because Jesus was not his biological son. Um, I do think it's significant that even as God chose Mary to be the one to give birth to Jesus, that it's also important that God chose Joseph. Joseph was not just an afterthought. He was the one who would raise Jesus into manhood. If you look at verse 21, that's kind of the, the key verse here. It's the memory verse for the week. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. You know, there aren't a lot of passages in scripture about Joseph, uh, the father, uh, earthly father of Jesus. In fact, the passage we're looking at today is one of the main passages. We wanna look at that and a couple others. Um, and what can we learn about Joseph from these verses? The first thing, and this is on your notes if you're taking notes, is that Joseph was righteous. It says in verse 19, Joseph was a righteous man. And the phrase righteous, a righteous man is a Hebrew expression that just means he was a true believer in God uh, who had become, because of his belief in God, he'd been declared righteous. And, and that meant that he was trying to carefully obey the law. That's what it was to be a righteous man. Well, to understand the significance of what uh, of some of what we read here, we need to understand some of the first century marriage customs, which are very different from ours. Uh, the bride and groom went through a period of engagement, maybe like we might think of that, except for them, engage, engagement was basically as binding as marriage. Uh, in fact, an actual divorce would have to, they would have to go through an actual divorce if they broke off their engagement. In the first century, a couple would get engaged, they called it betrothed to each other, around the age of 13. You know, for our Western minds, that's hard to comprehend, a 13-year-old uh, being engaged to marriage, but that's the way it was in the first century. They were teenagers, probably young teenagers. It's uh, during this waiting period when they abstained from any sexual relations that Mary was found to be pregnant. Uh, during New Testament times, when a couple was pledged to be married, um, uh, and, you know, this is not exactly like, uh, like this for us, but I'm guessing that for many or most of you, uh, you know, Joseph has made this decision. His parents probably were involved as, as Mary's parents were in this decision-making process for them. But we make decisions in our lives. And maybe we've stood where Joseph, maybe we stand now currently where Joseph stood. You, you've done what you, it, it seems to you that God has led you to do, and it's not turning out the way you thought it would. 
That happens. Um, and it just causes you to wonder, why was God directing me in the first place? And I think we read about Joseph in these verses, it gives us, a, I think, a unique and special definition of courage that we'll explain, that I'll explain. But the, the, and this is on your outline, that courage is really the willingness to be weak. Courage is the willingness to be weak. And this is a great lesson because Joseph had that courage to accept being despised by the world. Uh, Verse 19 says he wanted to divorce Mary quietly. But the whole point is that Mary would be exposed to this disgrace by herself. Even if they were, if he were to marry her immediately, uh, people aren't stupid. They can count. If they get married in January and have a baby in June, they can, they can figure that out. But at the time, Joseph realized that it was inevitable that Mary's life would be ruined. She would likely be cut off from her family. She would be marginalized by her friends and, and she was going to be disgraced. So here's the deal. If, if Joseph, and this is on your outline, if Joseph marries her, the disgrace that would come to Mary will come to him too. He will be disgraced with her. If he divorces her, it will be clear that she has been unfaithful to him. But, but if he marries her and they have the child three or four or five or whatever, how many, however many months later, after they're married, it will be clear to everyone that they've been, faith, they've been unfaithful together. They've been unfaithful to God. And so Joseph isn't afraid of the contempt and the scorn of the world, knowing what's coming and knowing that he's innocent. Think about, uh, think about this for us. If, and this was my experience when I became a Christian. I was not running with a good crowd. I was with a, a crowd of bad people. Um, and some of them came to faith at the same time I did, but I was not in a good crowd of people. And, and when I said, Jesus has forgiven my sins, and I know God loves me, and I know based on his word, I'm going to heaven, their response was, it's arrogant for you to say that. How can you say you know you're going to heaven? I know what your life is like. You're not someone who deserves to go to heaven. If, if God's going to save anybody, he's going to save really good people. And Kenny, you're not one of those. And we say, well, you know what? I don't think I'm better than anybody else. I think I'm a sinner like you and everybody. But no matter what we say, it sounded arrogant to the people around me. And no matter what Mary said on, the people around her were like, a virgin birth, pregnant by the Holy Spirit? Yeah, give me a break. That didn't happen to you. If you're going to receive Christ in your life, then you have to be willing to some degree to accept the contempt of the world. And that takes courage. When you tell someone you're a Christian, and if you've had them say to people, what people said to me, they said, you'll come to your senses soon enough. I know you, Kenny. We'll give you some time. It'll wear off. You know, becoming a Christian 
can blow up your life. Uh, Some of you were here yesterday for a service we had for one of our members, Steve Norman, who passed away and um, uh, from cancer. And, and this is what happened to Steve. I remember him being on the patio and meeting him just several years ago. And he did not want anything to do with Christianity. Nothing. It, it, you could tell by everything about him shouted that. His body language, his words, his facial expression, everything. And then he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And there was a 180 degree turnaround. Um, he, he, he said to me, he said, uh, Kenny, I sat in the back because I didn't want people to see me weep every Sunday. Because all the words to all the songs made sense. They just touched my heart. Your message every Sunday was just for me. God was speaking to me every Sunday through, through your words. There was a, a hundred, it blew up his life. And, and people maybe who thought well of you before you became a Christian now think you're just a little crazy. They don't think you're normal. My family didn't think I was normal. My mom called the pastor of the church that I started going to and said, what did you do to my son? And if you're like that, if you're in circumstances today, whatever those circumstances are, and you look at Mary and Joseph, if you're scared because of the circumstances you're in, just look to Mary and Joseph, these two illiterate teenagers who received Jesus into their life, and look what happened to them. Joseph was just planning on following the law in Deuteronomy 22, but the angel comes along and says, don't be afraid. Take Mary to be your wife. And if you're asking what Joseph asked, If you're saying, Lord, what should I do? Then you need to do what Joseph did. And what Joseph did is number two on your outline. And that is that Joseph was obedient. Joseph explicitly follows the Lord's leading and direction. He wanted God's plan, not his own. And so when God spoke to him in a dream and told him to go ahead and wed Mary, even though she was pregnant, he obeyed. And then later, God told him in in the next chapter, God speaks to him through these dreams, through these angels speaking to him. And and, and in Matthew 2, it says, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. What does Joseph do? Immediately, he obeys. He didn't let his confusion disrupt his obedience. And God says the same thing to us. If you're confused about what God is wanting you to do, don't let your confusion get in the way of you being obedient to God and following him. And Joseph did as he was directed. And so, again, we might be confused about something we keep obeying. We might not, Joseph didn't know everything, but he obeyed what he knew. 
And Joseph was a man of faith. That's number three on your outline. Joseph was a man of faith. We just talked about Joseph taking his family into Egypt. That, that he did that by faith. He, he, he married Mary by faith. But it takes faith to pack your bags and to head off to a foreign country with no prospects and no planning, simply on the basis of God's direction. He could have made excuses to stay where he had work. He could have made excuses to stay where he felt comfortable. But Joseph was a man of faith. And he was faithful, and this is also on your outline, in the practice of faith, in his practice of faith. He set an example to his family by going to the temple, by attending the feast. Luke 2.41 says, every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. Joseph was consistent in taking his family to the house of God. You know, it's been a few years, but I remember uh, someone asking someone in our church uh, how their parents had impacted them. And they said, you know, I would wake up every morning and see my dad at the kitchen table with his Bible open, reading his Bible and praying. And I was thought, wow, you know, I, <clears throat> I want, excuse me, I want my kids to be able to think that of me. I, I want to make an impact on my children. What kind of impact are you making on your children? What, what kind of consistency is shown by the way you live your Christian life? Your kids are watching your consistent devotion. My, my kids are adults, but I know that they're still watching uh, for consistent devotion to God. And the next thing we see, number four, is that Jesus was loving. We see a picture in verse 19 of, of someone who is kind and, and caring. And this is most obvious, I think, in his relationship with Mary. Uh, again, because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace. In Max Lucado's book, A, Life, A Love Worth Giving, he writes this, Joseph finds out that Mary is pregnant. He hasn't had any great revelation yet. What is he to think? What would you think if you were a man? You've fallen in love with this beautiful young girl. You do all the right things. You pursue her in the customary way. You've talked with her about dreams for a future together. As much as you can as a 13-year-old. A house, a family. And then out of the blue, you learn that this sweet girl that you thought you knew so well is pregnant. Newly pregnant. And you don't know who the father is, but there is one person you know you, you can rule out. Yourself. And how does it make you feel? Angry? Betrayed? You know, the penalty for adultery at this time was death by stoning. And this applied to engagement as well as marriage. So even before God spoke to Joseph, Joseph didn't have any vengeance. We don't read of anything like there's no hint of that or bitterness in his heart. The end of verse 19 says he had in mind to divorce her quietly. There, there was a way for that to be carried out. 
And, and Joseph was already considering the best way to do this. He was a loving man toward Mary. We, we also see him being loving in his relationship as a father to a son. There's nothing in scripture that would give us any hint that Joseph's attitude was other than this boy is my boy. No resentment, no indifference that we see. Joseph protected Jesus from the hatred of Herod. Joseph nurtured Jesus, he cared for Jesus, he taught Jesus uh, his craft. Joseph Joseph was a, a loving man. And so fathers, we can say, and really we can expand this to parents easily. It's, it, none of us know how much time we have left with our children. We, we want to be there for them, but, but we can't promise that. Our, our families need a lot from us. I saw a list recently of, of what was expected from a, a Christian father, and again, a Christian parent. And the list was affection, a good example, Godly counsel, laughter and warmth, concern, and providing for their family. You know, I, I look at that list and I, I can remember I, I, having four small children at home and, and coming home and being tired myself for whatever reason and, and saying, Lord, give me the strength as I peel Kathy off the wall, having been with these four kids all day, and take over and play with the kids and, and help me to have fun with them and love them and be patient with them. It's sometimes it's not easy. I, I read just recently about a, a man, a father, who was very busy with very important work and he found himself with too many commitments in too few days, and he got nervous and tense about it. And, and he writes this, I was snapping at my wife and our children, choking down my food at mealtimes, and feeling irritated at those unexpected interruptions throughout the day. Before long, things, uh, things around our house started reflecting the pattern of my hurry-up style. And it was becoming unbearable, even for me and my family. I distinctly remember after supper one evening, the words of our younger daughter. She wanted to, uh, she wanted to tell me something important that had happened to her that day at school. And she began hurriedly, Daddy, I want to tell you something and I promise I'll tell you really fast. Suddenly, realizing her frustration, he writes, I answered, Honey, you can tell me. And you don't have to tell me really fast. Say it slowly. And I'll never forget her response. Then daddy, you have to listen slowly. Parents, we have, when we have our children with us, these phenomenal opportunities. Don't miss them. And even when your children are grown like mine are now, you still have opportunities to listen slowly. That's the way we need to listen to our kids. And then finally, Joseph had genuine wisdom. It seems Joseph lived a shorter life. We don't read about him after Jesus' childhood. Uh, at the cross, Jesus charged John to take care of his mother, Mary. So 
Joseph, we know, wasn't around then. And so it seems as if Joseph was taken from them way too early. But, but Joseph used what time he had and he used it wisely. He, he provided for his family. He set an example that they would remember. You know, none of us know how much time we have left. And so we need to take the opportunities that we have to tell our children, tell the people around us that we love them. Are you using your time like Joseph to encourage your spouse, to encourage your children? Well, what I want to finish with is the message that we see in verse 21. Uh, She will give birth to a son and you're to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Remember that courage is the willingness to be weak. We have a a misunderstanding um, about how someone, I think, becomes a Christian and, and that process. And really, the only way to have Jesus in your life is to have the courage to admit that you're a sinner. I think we sometimes pray a prayer of salvation and we think, well, I'm I'm saved. But what sometimes I think people mean when they say that prayer of salvation is, okay, Jesus, come into my heart and now I'm gonna try really hard to reach all of my goals in life because I know you're there strengthening me and you'll give me the power to do what I want to do. That is not how you become a Christian. That is not the gospel. What you need, and this is on your outline, is the courage to admit to God that he owes you nothing. He owes you nothing. You're like all of us, we're a helpless sinner. You cannot save yourself. You cannot live a life you should. You can't live up to God's standards for you. You can't even live up to your own standards for yourself. There's no way we can live up to God's standards. That's why we need the grace of God. It it alone is what's going to bring us to faith. And so do you have the courage to admit that you don't just need a helping hand from God, you need to be rescued because you are dying. You know, we say that, that this is the land of the living and when we die, we go to the land of the dead. The Bible says the opposite. This is the land of the dying and, and when we die, we will live forever. Heaven or hell, we will live for eternity. And so it takes courage to pray, God, without your sheer mercy, you could cut me off and you would be absolutely just in doing so. You know, there have been many uh, tightrope walkers. Uh, Maybe you've seen some on TV, the Walendas, Valendas, they come to mind. But there was one tightrope walker who towers above every other one who has ever lived. That was about 150 years ago, and he was at the peak of his game. His name was Charles Blondin. He came to the United States from France. 
Uh, and, and he was fascinated, even obsessed with Niagara Falls. And, and, and so he strung a tightrope across, 1,100 feet across and 160 feet above Niagara Falls. And he said he was going to cross from one side to the other. And he was quite a showman. He had a crowd one time of 100,000 people watching him that had gathered to watch him walk across inch by inch, step by step across Niagara Falls. Can you imagine the drama of that moment? I remember a few years ago when one of the Valendas did it. It was dramatic then. But life or death, there's no safety net. You fall, you die. And he crossed all the way over and tons of people were taking pictures of him. And so he did it again. He crossed over with a camera and took a picture of people taking a picture of him. Uh, another time he took a chair, carried a chair with him across, balanced the chair and stood on the chair. You have to be a little crazy to do stuff like this. I'm sorry, but it's just a little nuts. Uh, one time, another time, he fixed an omelet in the middle and then dropped it to somebody who was on the, the maid of the mist boat so that one of them could have it for breakfast. Another time, he said that he would take someone across on his back. And... <clears throat> uh, 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 he said, do you believe I can do that? And the audience cheered. And he said, now who will go on my back? <laughs> Crickets. Nobody said a word. No laughing. Unless it was nervous laughter. Do you believe? Or do you just admire? All 100,000 people were silent. One man, Harry Colcord, New Blondin. Uh, he'd worked with him. He had seen him do this a hundred times. He had to be a little crazy too because he got on his back. You can see pictures of this uh, online. Uh, and they went across together, inch by inch, step by step, all the way across Niagara Falls. Can you imagine that ride on someone's back over Niagara Falls? They make it to the other side. Of course, the crowd goes crazy. But the crowd didn't get on his back. Everybody applauded. But only one man trusted. You know, when you see the word believe in Scripture, you can think trust in, rely on, or cling to. I can tell you that I would give a new definition to the word cling to if I was on his back. Jesus finished the Sermon on the Mount and everyone was amazed. But Jesus was not interested in amazing the crowd. Jesus never walked up to people and said, admire me. He walked up to people and he said, follow me. Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple, let them deny themselves. Let them become weak. And take up their cross and follow me. You know what Jesus was saying? He was saying, get on my back.
So here's the question. Have you wholly devoted yourself to be a follower of Jesus? Or are you just an admirer? Do you really believe in him? Because this is the most momentous decision you will ever make in your life. And I want to be clear on what it means to get on his back. Your sin goes on there. Your guilt goes on there. For all of us, in in what part of your life do you need to show that complete trust? First with our salvation, but with our children, with our finances, with our worries, with our physical health, with our fear of COVID. Steve Norman, whose funeral we had yesterday, wrote his testimony and gave it to everyone who came. And he said this, he said, I hate pancreatic cancer. I knew it would kill me. But it's because of the diagnosis of pancreatic cancer, I came to the Lord. What about the things that God has brought into your life? Right now, whatever those things are, how are you responding to God? Because God wants to use them in your life to draw you closer to him. Is that the perspective you have as you look at the challenges you face right now, whatever those challenges are? You know, if you don't know the Lord personally, are you willing to truly believe and become a Christ follower, not an admirer? And what that means is not just believing it, but getting on Jesus' back. Well, you know, we don't know much about Joseph, but we do know that he had that kind of trust in God. If you've got the kinds of questions that Joseph had, then do what Joseph did and live a life of obedience to God. A lot to think about here. I hope you'll spend some time today thinking about it. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask that you would help us to get the kind of courage Joseph had the kind of courage that led to a willingness to be weak, a willingness to be vulnerable. Lord, Christmas means that you became breakable, you became vulnerable. And so now we ask, Lord, that you would help us to have Jesus in our lives more deeply than ever this Christmas time, this, in these next days. Because we need to become vulnerable enough to confess our sins, to give you the lordship of our lives in a new way, to accept any shame that the world would throw on us for the sake of the incredible honor that you put on us to be your children. We pray now that you would help us to be like your son Jesus, looking at his example. Melt us more into his likeness, we pray. In the strong name of Jesus, 
Amen. So now may the God of peace who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, and ratified an eternal covenant with his blood, may he equip you with all you need for doing his will. May he produce in you through the power of Jesus Christ every good thing that is pleasing to him. All glory to him forever and ever. Amen.